Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Does anybody want to say amen? Amen. When you begin a new year, you want the blessing of God, amen? Well, there are verses that have the word blessing once. There are a couple of verses with the word blessing twice. But I don't know of any other verse in the Bible that has the word blessing three times. And it just happens to be where we are this morning. And as we were singing about this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that chases me down and leaves the 99, how many of you can remember when you weren't part of the 99, you were out on the edge of a cliff hanging by a thread. How many of you can remember when, when you were the lost sheep out there? Yeah. Anybody still remember that? I just want to make sure I'm in the right place this morning. Okay. Now this love of God, as we sang this morning, these words hit me. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick up. And there's no lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. Now, there are areas of darkness, there are walls, there are lies, but, but I just want to hit on this right here in our service this morning. I had this picture for the past three weeks about this morning that God wants to hose us down. I don't mean with a little garden hose or a water pick or, or even a pressure sprayer, but, but I'm talking a hose down like out of a fire hydrant and a fire hose, that kind of a hose down. Yes, yes. To give us a thorough hosing down of the lies we are told. Yes, yes. Now just this week I learned of a man who's been in church his whole life He's now 78 years old, and in church, he has never sung publicly since he was seven. Because when he was seven, a woman sitting in front of him during group singing turned around and said, son, you have a horrible voice. And he never sang since. He's 78 years old. Now, what do you call that? I call that a curse. But how many times have we allowed the words of others 
or even thoughts that somehow get in our heads to define us. You're stupid. You're ugly. You, you'll always be poor. You'll never amount to anything. You're a misfit. You be, the world would be better off without you. All those thoughts. Now, we've all had some of them. There is nothing more important to learn about ourselves than our identity. Defining statements are statements of identity. You are. Early in my life, God gave me some wins in affirmation that were early blessings that have since defined my life. I was fortunate in many ways to have early wins and early blessings. When I first received Christ, I was 13. Within two months, I was invited to speak at a, a local rehab center for drug addicts and alcoholics. That night, two or three men received Christ. And the word got out about me sharing my testimony and my church invited me at our big Labor Day picnic to speak at that, and afterwards, I got so many blessings. They were calling me the next Billy Graham and all kinds of things. Here I am, 13. It didn't go to my head, but it went to my heart. Those were blessings. They were defining moments. There are no statements we will ever hear that will define our lives more than identity statements. Yes. You are, you are not. Parents' role is to steward the identity statements of their children. There is no higher role in parenting than helping our children sift through identity statements. Our Father knows this. And so this morning, we come to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 contain more identity statements than anywhere else in Scripture and anywhere else in terms of an accurate identification of who we are ever written than in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. So beginning today and for the next 
12 weeks, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. And we begin this morning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? Ephesians chapter 1 takes us to a high point so we can see our way around. I grew up in New Jersey, but two or three times a year would go into New York City. New York City can be intimidating if you don't know your way around. But one day my dad took me to the top of the Empire State Building and he showed me the south side and the east side and the west side and the north side. He showed me how the streets all go in one direction and how the avenues go, all go in the other direction. And he said, now this is this avenue and it, it's all laid out. You can look in every direction from the top of, of New York City and the Empire State Building. You can do a 360 and look in every direction. And from that day on, New York City no longer intimidated me. To this day, it's one of my favorite cities in the world. Ephesians is the Empire State Building of your identity. Life can seem intimidating until you know who you are. The whole book of Ephesians is in two parts. The first half, the first three chapters, are who we are in Christ. And the second half, verse, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, is what we can do in Christ. We will never know what we can do until we know who we are. That's why identity precedes activity. Once we know who we are, then we will know what we're capable of. And I'm just telling you, 99% of us Maybe 100% of us don't know what we're capable of because we don't know who we are. Now, the blessing in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it's a threefold blessing. The word blessing is specifically used three times. But notice how it's used. Because the blessing in Ephesians 1, 3 is also Trinitarian. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every... Now, this is a little tricky translation. It's translated, I believe, in every one of our Bibles with every spiritual blessing. The word in the original language is not spiritual, it's spirit. So it's more likely 
should be translated capital S than small s. So what this is saying is God the Father is blessed and in his Son, he's given us the blessing and the Holy Spirit activates every one of the blessings that are in the Son, the Spirit activates for us. They are spirit blessings. So every blessing that there is in Christ is yours. Now, wait for it. Because of your identity, you are in Christ. In Christ. The biggest word in the book of Ephesians is the word in. In. In appears in the book of Ephesians 94 times. Six short chapters, one page each. But in is used 94 times. In fact, in, in chapter one, just the first 14 verses, it appears 15 times. In. In, in this case, is a word of identity. It doesn't just say we are identified with Christ. It says we are in Christ. You want to know who you are today. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in him. The only way to know yourself is to know yourself in him. Now what follows Verse 3 through verse 14 is a chunk of scripture that is frankly not easy to understand at first. And the reason is it's one long run on sentence. In the original writing, there was no period until the end of verse 14. And then beginning with verse 15 to the end of the chapter, there, there's no period until you get to the end of the chapter again. So it's no wonder it's hard to understand. Now, why would he write this way? Well, have you ever um, uh, heard a, um, a student who was really excited about something try to describe what they experienced like those who went to passion. Uh, I've heard several people uh, tell me about their experience at the passion conference uh, this past weekend here in Atlanta. And it was like, they, they were just going on and on. And there was, it was just like, they, they couldn't say enough. And it was like this one gigantic explanation. And, and I picked up bits and pieces, but it was, they just couldn't stop. That's what's happening here in Ephesians. And the first run-on sentence is a prayer. Sometimes when you're praying, you don't parse your verbs and you don't string it all together in a nice, neatly diagrammed sense. You just keep, it's just got to run and you just let it out. And that's what Paul's doing here. From verse 3 to 14, it's one long 
prayer of praise to the Lord. And then verse 15 to the end of the chapter is the same thing, but it's not a praise. It's a prayer that what he just praised for will be known by the Ephesians. That's the first chapter. It's two big sentences, one a praise and one a prayer. Next week, we'll come back to verse 15 uh, through the end of the chapter to look at the prayer. But this morning, we want to dig in on this praise. And it's all to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Now, while it's one long run-on sentence, it does have three parts to it. And every part ends with this phrase. To the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. So look at the end of verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look at the end of verse 12. To the praise of his glory. Uh, look to the end of verse 14 to the praise of his glory. So it's all praise to the one true God, verses three to six, to the praise of the Father, seven through 12, to the praise of the Son, and 13 and 14, to the praise of the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Church, you know how often I point out to us in the scriptures whenever we come across the Trinity. But what we need to realize is the Trinity is not just a theological necessity with no practical value. That's frankly what the church has done with the Trinity. And because of that, we are in danger of false teachers rising up to try to remove the Trinity from us. Yes. Let me say, the Trinity, the one true God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is not just a theological necessity. That is, it's a reality. Amen. But it, it is so practical and relevant and we're gonna see just how this morning. Now, in your text, I want you to follow with me. Ephesians chapter one, verse, beginning with verse three through 14, it gives us here at least seven distinct blessings. So that when it says, he has blessed us, in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing, it's not just in a general way, he breaks it down very specifically. So, and there are seven of these specific blessings. It says in verse four, he chose us, he chose us. So the next time the devil tells you, see you're rejected, 
you can square off at the devil and say, no. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, I've been chosen. I am not rejected. Now, who chose us? The Father chose us. Then the second, he predestined us. Who predestined us? The Father. And what does it mean he predestined us? He predestined us to be adopted, to become full-fledged sons and daughters of the Father. We've been predestined. Now, that's what the Father has done. Then look at what the Son has done. Verse 7, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, you need to understand a few things about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, much like Atlanta, was a very diverse uh, city. There were probably about um, 200 to 300,000 people who made up the metropolis of uh, Ephesus. But that city had people from all over the world. There were Africans, there were Asians, and they all brought their gods, their deities. It says that there were over a thousand deities in Ephesus. There were about 90% of the population were slaves. So there was this huge gap between the haves and the have-nots. And there was all kinds of injustice, abuse of people. But the discord and the really, it was the pluralism of the culture infiltrated the church. And because of that, they felt like they were second rate. There were some who were Jews as believers who were telling the Gentiles as believers, you don't get as much of God as we do. And there were those who were claiming the blessing because of material success. We have more money, therefore we are more blessed. And what Paul is doing right here from the outset is he is saying, it's not your bank account that determines your identity. It's not even whether you're slave or free that determines your identity. And the proof of this is where Paul is when he's writing this book. Three times in Ephesians, he says, I'm writing to you from prison. Chapter three, verse one, chapter four, verse one, and verse 20 uh, 20 of chapter six. Three times, Paul is saying, I'm writing to you from prison. And is he lamenting? No. Why? Because his environment did not determine his worth. He knew who he was, and nothing could steal that from him. Caesar could not, Nero could not. No unjust emperor could steal from him and the believers their value in Christ. See, he's taking them to the top of the Theological Empire State Building and letting them see the reality of the layout of their lives and where they're living and reminding them that they are blessed. Now, this this third blessing, the fact that they've been uh, redeemed, 
the fact that 95% of the population were slaves, and yet he's saying, you've been redeemed. What that meant to a slave is you've been set free. You are no longer a worthless uh, person of less value than anyone else. You have equal value. You have been redeemed. You've been bought off the slave block of this world and crowned with dignity and honor like everyone else in Ephesus. Powerful. Then the fourth blessing, verse seven, you have redemption uh, through forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. You're not at the low end of the feeding trough. You're, you're in the deep end. If you are in Christ, you have all the blessings of Christ. His, his love has been lavished upon you. Why? We come to the, the fifth blessing, in order to make known the mystery of his will. God has chosen every one of us equally to be those who declare to this world, the, the mystery, the wonder, the power of the gospel, the poor and the rich, the have and the have not, those uh, from Africa, Asia, Europe, Middle East, wherever background, God distills it all down and he makes us royalty with dignity, and he gives us not only the gifts, but the empowerment to preach and to declare to others the glories of God. Then the sixth blessing, as a, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven, and things on earth. What he's dealing with here, and we're gonna see it in a few weeks when we get into chapter two, was the fragmentation of the church in Ephesus because of the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles who were now both in the church, both saved, but terribly divided, and one feeling marginalized and the other feeling superior. And God, shows that in Christ he tore down the dividing wall between the two and brought about unity so that there is the mutual respect for each other. Yes. Now, brothers and sisters, there are at least a dozen parallels between the church in Ephesus and the church in Lilburn. This, uh, in two weeks, we have scheduled and we're hosting the Beyond Race Conference with Dr. Carl Ellis. Why? Why? Because the government is not stewarding equality for races the way God intends the church to steward equality for the races. Amen. 
We are all aware. I, I hear it from either side of the aisle, the concerns over increased racial tension in our nation. It's time for the church to own this issue. And I invite you now to make plans to be here with us for our Beyond Race Conference. We have an opportunity as a church to declare the relevance of the gospel like we never have before. You could go to an all-white church in Atlanta, you go to an all-black, you can go to an all-Asian, you can go to an all-African church, you can go to an all-Hispanic church, you, you know this. But there is something supernatural about us all worshiping together in one place at one time. This is no little side issue. This shows the glory of God among us. And we need to protect it and we need to fortify it and we need to think well, and that's why we've invited a scholar who is down to earth and relevant to help us engage in conversation together as a church of many nations. Amen. I'm telling you, this is gonna be a historic conference for us as a church. If anything, it's long overdue. But please don't think, oh, well, we've already got that one pretty well under control. We really don't need that conference. No, we need it. And I really hope we participate. But in Christ, God has united the races. In the church, he has. And the final, the seventh blessing, is that we, in verse 13 and 14, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What that means is, while the Father initiates everything and, the, and Christ the Son communicates everything, it's the Holy Spirit who activates everything and who finishes. So the Father is the initiator, the, the Son is the communicator, and the Holy Spirit is the activator. And he guarantees that you We'll make it. Yes. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I hear some voices going on in people's minds. And some of you this morning have thought, yeah, for other people maybe, but not for me. No, this is for you. Yes. I'm telling you, this is who you are. And this is what it means when we stand and we sing. There's no mountain he won't climb up. No darkness he won't light up. There is no wall he won't kick down or lie he won't tear down coming after you. Now you look at these seven. The first one, you're chosen. What that means is he didn't overlook you. There was never a moment when, when God passed you by to get to somebody else. He, he came after you. He chose you. And the next time the devil tells you you've been rejected, you say, no, the Bible tells me I'm chosen. And the next time the devil tells you you're not going to make it, you can tell him, no, 
My Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 1 that I'm predestined to make it. And I've got the Holy Spirit who sealed me, so I'm going to make it. I may not be a trophy in my eyes, but in God's eyes, I'm a trophy. Every one of these are reality statements about your identity. You are chosen. You are predestined. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are loved lavishly. You are called to, through your life, display the glory of God's grace. You. And you are guaranteed your inheritance. You're not going to default and abdicate or lose qualification. And the Holy Spirit guarantees it. Written by a guy in prison. Once in a while, ESPN has some great montages. They grabbed the, in their opinion, the 100 greatest moments in sport. You can Google it later, please. You know, it's got uh, Muhammad Ali with Sonny Liston at his feet. It, it's got Michael Phelps uh, finishing his uh, amazing gold medal run. It's got Tiger Woods chipping in from the, that bunker on the 16th green over at Augusta. And against all odds, it goes right in the hole. It's got that moment. What, what, what it is, it's 100 defining moments of greatness. That is, is a lot like Ephesians chapter 1. But th this was not done by 100 different athletes. This was done by one. Jesus. I'm glad we've got 12 weeks for this to settle in, that we are in Christ. I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ, all his victories are mine. Yes. All his blessings are mine. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You will never know what you're capable of until you know who you are. Identity. Accurately knowing your identity is what the next six weeks will be all about here in the book of Ephesians. Powerful, 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 thoroughly relevant for where we live whether you're going back to school tomorrow or back to work or whatever it is for you, God wants you to know who you are in Christ. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth, these 
identity statements that define us, really redefine us so that they might redirect us. And Father, thank you for loving us so much that you knock down walls and you tear down lies to the contrary. Because we've all heard them, we've all been held back by them, but Father, today we receive the blessing, like a kiss on the lips, of what our identity truly is because we are in Christ. This morning, I just want to pause in prayer. And if you have never put your faith in Christ and received the blessing of Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. He sent Jesus for you. And he loves you so much that today he's here calling you to himself. And I want to extend that invitation for you to trust Christ, to receive Christ, receive the blessings that come in Christ. Hallelujah. Just pray this prayer with me. Father, this morning I do repent and I put my faith in Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that Jesus was crucified, buried, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and today is alive and is a mediator between me and and God the Father. And today I put my faith in Jesus, my mediator. And I receive every blessing that is mine in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Father, as we share in these moments this morning, thank you, thank you, thank you for church. Thank you for the reality of community and the blessing of being together in our journey. And Lord, we want to say that here among us, there are no greater or lesser people. We tear down the stronghold of racism. We stand against it in Jesus' name. Lord, in others it may rise, raise its ugly demonic head, but not here among us. Lord, fortify who we are in Christ and the dignity of all people here in this place. And Lord, as we share this message with uh, dozens of other churches in two weeks at our conference, we pray, Father, that you would establish a stronghold of dignity and honor for all people among the church of Jesus Christ here in the South. We believe you to do this. We thank you. Lord, as we take time right now to give to you our tithes and offering.
We ask you to bless our worship, to bless every gift that's placed before you, that you would multiply it and use it to fulfill the mission that we have as a church, to take seekers into the fullness of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.